healthcare is a little unique from the rest of the the world today in so much that at least in the US anyway, you know, HIPAA has been a regulation that's been in place since 95 and so you know, privacy has always been very closely related with the protection of healthcare data. It's a huge advantage from a healthcare perspective because they understand that innately where a lot of other industries are catching up to that concept of, of privacy being uh, inextricably linked to data security. Hello and welcome to HIMSCast. I'm joined today by Gabe Gums, who's the Head of Product and Innovation at Spirion. Uh, Gabe works with many companies, including healthcare companies, uh, advising on all things uh, data privacy and cybersecurity. And we're going to chat a little bit about some of those topics. Um, for those of you who aren't aware, next week, HIMS is hosting a HIMS security forum uh, where we're going to dive really deep into cybersecurity for healthcare. So there'll be a link with this show uh, if you want to sign up for that event and learn more. Um, and we'll, of course, include our usual slew of articles related to the things that we talk about. Welcome to the show, Gabe. Thanks for having me. So just to get started, tell us, tell us a little bit about your background. I know that you had worked with Pfizer. Um, how, so how do you, what you do now and how you got there, especially as it relates to healthcare. Yeah, so a good, good call out in the background there. So I, I did. I spent uh, almost a decade working in Big Pharma in particular, but by way of background, I spent most of my time as an ethical hacker and a practitioner um, moving into more architecture roles, which uh, is what I did while I was at Pfizer for a while. So security architecture and operation roles there, um, leading several initiatives to, uh, to, to introduce new technologies to solve for different security challenges. Um, I took a lot of the experience that I'd gained over the years in terms of understanding business objectives and challenges and translating those into solutions and brought it to the product side of the world where I now steer overall product strategy and direction for, for uh, data security solutions. So what do you think are some of the biggest data security um, issues, problems, risks today um, for healthcare companies? And I know you have some clients who, who are in that space. Yeah, it's a, it's a fairly broad question, but I think there's some things that are universal, whether you're in healthcare or not. And in healthcare in particular, certainly has this challenge as well, which is understanding all of the areas where that data exists and what that data is. Add to that the purpose for that data's use, collection, um, sharing, et cetera. Healthcare is a little unique from the rest of the the world today in so much that, at least in the US anyway, you know, HIPAA has been a regulation that's been in place since 95. And so, you know, privacy has always been very closely related with the protection of healthcare data. It's a huge advantage from a healthcare perspective because they understand that innately where a lot of other industries are catching up to that concept of of privacy being uh, inextricably linked to data security. It's not to say that there weren't privacy outcomes uh, but it wasn't an explicit mandate where one had to be able to to understand the different controls necessary um, and apply them for <clears throat> security and privacy outcomes. Where I like to define the difference as being your privacy-related uh, threats, if you would, 
uh, arise from uh, unauthenticated or unauthorized access. I should say not a thing, but unauthorized access to data. When we're on the privacy side, those risks arise from authorized access to data. And so in the healthcare world, understanding that concept very innately uh, is something that uh, most healthcare security professionals understand. And the challenge then is, uh, is knowing where's the data and which data then requires the appropriate controls from a pure security standpoint versus a privacy standpoint. Can you give me an example of a, a situation that might come up in healthcare where the data is uh, needs to be private but not necessarily secure or you're, you're worried about authorized use versus, versus unauthorized use? Yeah, I can give you a few examples. So private, but not necessarily secure. I think in our current COVID environment, um, a, a really good example of that is basic sharing, public sharing of, of data related to individuals who've contracted and or been exposed to, to, to COVID in general, right? So that's information that uh, many organizations share with government institutions. But then there's also a lot of private sharing amongst re among research institutions to understand how the virus is spreading, how it's, it's possibly mutating, um, how it operates in different environments, cold, hot, how it lives on services, you name it. In order for that type of research to be conducted, that information needs to be, remain private um, but unsecure, Un unsecure in so much that, or insecure, unsecure, unsecure. <laughs> it's not insecure, it knows exactly who it is. Unsecure in so much that it needs to be openly available and shared, and a lot of these are in open databases to be downloaded and studied by individuals. But protecting the privacy there means that that information needs to be anonymized, it needs to be de-identified. And there are different thresholds to de-identification depending on the type of data it is. HIPAA explicitly has its own rules for data de-identification. Um, again, that's largely because they already have rules for identifying what is uh, uh, protected health information, PHI. And so that's one very good example of information that needs to remain private, but unsecure. Versus the, it needs to remain secure and private where you have information that would be shared amongst two organizations. So let's take Pfizer, for example. They're working with a German organization to bring to market a, a vaccine for COVID. Well, there's a lot of clinical trial data that would be shared between those two organizations. That data needs to be shared across organizations. And so it needs to be secured um, in, in all of its forms across that life cycle from the time it's created to the time it's in transit while it's in press. But it also needs to be kept private from those that don't need to have access to it, even within both of those organizations and anyone else outside of those organizations they may share it with. And so then that requires different types of controls. Some of those controls may be simply applying rights management to ensure only the right persons can, can, can access it. And again, some of those controls may be in the differential privacy domain where we need to ensure that you can still derive the same statistical data from the data set without exposing who the individuals within the data set are. Yeah, so that's really helpful. Let's talk a little bit about sort of the state of, of regulation around privacy and security. Um, it, we're in a situation where, um, you, you know, last couple of years ago now, um, Europe passed the, the GDPR, um, really new kind of stringent privacy requirements for a lot of apps um, and, and softwares. Uh, we don't have the same thing in the U.S. We have, there's a California law that sort of bring some of this into into play, but also the global nature of everything in the world sort of means we're all beholden to all the laws, uh, you know, around the world. So I guess my question is, do you think like 
broadly, do you think that we're where we need to be uh, in terms of the regulations um, that, are, that are in place for to, to promote data security? Uh, do you think we've gone too far? Do you think we've not gone far enough? Yeah, so in, in the yeah. United States in particular, I, I would say we've certainly not gone far enough. I say that as a, as a statement that's geared towards the, the very nature of personal data as it's shared, sold, transacted by private organizations, right? They, there are, there's an entire industry of data brokers that exist. And I'm sure like if you've ever Googled yourself, you know, you'll, you'll find yourself in databases of all types. And it's like, hey, if you want to find more, find out more information about Jonah, go ahead and sign up here and pay us $2. We'll tell you the last 20 places he's lived, et cetera. Should that information be publicly accessible to any and everyone? There's an argument on both sides of that coin. I would argue that, no, we haven't gone far enough to protect the information of individuals in, in, in this country. Certainly not as it relates to things like uh, political affiliation, sexual orientation, and even just, you know, where, where one has lived. All of those, those things are very um, private bits of information about yourself that uh, other organizations have access to and they transact on it. They, they sell it. They, they, uh, they trade it. They analyze it for patterns so that they can understand how to sell more things to you. They analyze it for patterns so that they can understand how to position political uh, ideology to you. So I would say it hasn't gone far enough. There is, of course, the danger of it going too far. I'm not sure I know where that too far line is yet, as we're so far from it, in my opinion, that uh, we could stand to push the boundaries and, until we, we can see beyond that horizon of too far. I think catching up to the Europeans is a good first step. And CCPR is a good step in that direction. And it does still need work. I think it's just transformed itself yet again. I don't recall what the new acronym is, but California equally just, just uh, ruled on, on some new regulations of that type too. So I, I don't answer your question. I don't think we've gone far enough. Again, in the healthcare world, we've been lucky enough that as protected health information goes, um, you know, we, we've had those protections in place since 1995. So, you know, that part of our world has, I certainly have plenty of time to mature and evolve. And, uh, the rest of the industries that are collecting information on us, whether it's just order fulfillment information, you know, just basic, you, you, you purchase, you come down to the local ice cream shop and you buy ice cream from us. And so we've got a loyalty tracking program that is tied to your iPhone. And now we know, now we know when you, you've been cheating on us and go to the Ben and Jerry's down the block kind of thing. There's, there's not enough protections in place from that perspective. One area that's sort of made this really uh, come to the fore lately has been around the idea of contact tracing for COVID. Um, there's been, it's been suggested that countries that have even weaker data privacy uh, protections than we do have sort of an advantage in fighting COVID because they can mandate tracking apps and, and do this sort of really rigorous, aggressive contact tracing. So as, as we think about managing this pandemic and being prepared to manage future pandemics, um, what do you think about that? Is, is there an operation? I mean, should we be ready to kind of, you know, temporarily cede our standards for privacy or is it just not a trade-off worth, worth making? Well, we should first establish that there is no temporary ceding of privacy. Once you give up that data, you have given it up. There's no, there, there's no removing that from the pool. Once it's in the pool, it's in the pool. You don't, you don't, you don't, you don't take it out of the pool, right? Um, I could equally make the argument that uh, nations with authoritarian governments have 
a better opportunity to control the spread of COVID as well. They can simply insist that everyone stay right where they're at. No one moves um, under penalty of death. I'm not, I'm not willing to trade pers- I'm personally not willing to trade uh, that level of freedom for, for a uh, reduction in, in the pandemic. Um, you know, I, that may be a hot take for some, but no, I don't think that's worth it as a collective society. There's definitely a balance in there that can and should be, should be struck. That said, there's certainly opportunities for, for some folks to opt in to, to those things, and I think that's helpful. There are certainly, I, I think there are those that find themselves uh, as very important parts of, of our functioning society that it may be helpful to, to, to be able to have them participate, but in such a way, again, that we can protect their privacy. We can collect that data without um, completely completely sacrificing their privacy. I, I know that once you get to a certain uh, number of data points about any individual, especially as contact tracing goes, it becomes increasingly easy for you to identify who that person is. There's no question about it. Uh, if, if I am tracking cell phone usage, it is very easy for me to tell, yep, that was jo- Jonah just based on those patterns. Uh, I don't think that we have to, we have to completely give up all of our privacies to be able to to, to address the pandemic. There's lots of other measures that we are attempting to put in place that are equally as helpful, you know, very basic things like mask wearing. And that uh, we're still struggling with whether or not everyone wears a mask is probably a better place to start before we just go around trace, you know, contact tracing everyone. Not that we, we could, can't and shouldn't. A- again, this is, this is part of that balance. You, it's no coincidence that those same countries have more adherence to things like mask wearing. It's not just the contact tracing that's helping them. It's their general adherence to the, the, the security of the whole. So let's switch gears a little bit. I want to talk about cybersecurity for uh, providers, which is our, our catch-all term for hospitals and, uh, and other you know, uh, private practices, what have you. And there's been a few trends in technology, I think, that have, have uh, introduced new possibilities for for bad actors in cybersecurity, right? A lot of hospitals are moving their whole data platform to the cloud um, is one. And then, of course, COVID-19 has caused this huge boom in telehealth and so many organizations to sort of get telehealth programs off the ground very rapidly. Um, so I'm curious, do you see any vul- vulnerabilities that, that can be introduced by you know, changes like that that have happened recently? Or, or you know, what are, if, if you're CISO or CIO and you're looking you know, to protect your hospital, what are the threats you're most worried about right now? Well, I think hospitals have been under the threat of ransomware for quite some time now, and I don't see that problem going away. In fact, uh, telehealth might only increase that. So I, we talked at the top of this conversation about understanding, knowing where that data is. Knowing what data exists at the, the furthest tendrils, if you would, of, of the healthcare provider's reach um, namely, those things that that are now extended across telehealth systems and down to the clients of of the patients is certainly one thing that would would concern me. Um, you've you've got individuals that are going to be participating in these programs whose 
who will be using their own systems. And those systems are certainly outside of the, the purview of the healthcare providers, but those systems will be used to participate in the telehealth program. So what data needs to be protected at that far end of the system? Anytime we push things down and out towards clients, as they get closer to consumers of technology, um, in this case, uh, consumers of a service, telehealth, now I have the concern of, of the of my patients who are who are at risk of having their systems compromised and and maybe from there make a, a small leap and turn in towards our systems as well. Uh, if, if I am one of those organizations, I'm certainly most worried about my ability to provide health care and not have it interrupted first and foremost. That's, that's the number one thing that's going to be in mind is how are we still going to be able to provide that level of care remotely in this case? Um, without interruption, because that's always the balance between security and the business is achieving that just the right amount of friction, if you would, because uh, nothing is frictionless uh, to allow that that business to to continue on. And and from a ransomware perspective, am I now introducing additional data that can be um, gobbled up, if you would, uh, as I push things out client side? And if so. Do I know what that data is so I can secure it and apply the right controls to it before ransomware comes along and finds it? And that's, that's one of those cat and mouse games that I feel like we, we probably can get a little further ahead of in the healthcare spaces. We know ransomware is with us. And we know it will, it will enter our systems and begin looking for sensitive information. And it will then attempt to, to uh, encrypt and lock up that sensitive information and ransom it back to us. So the... The scenario where we perform that exercise before they do, which is just you know kind of your 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 basic uh, tabletop exercise. Only this is something that we should do beyond just tabletop exercises. Let's go find that data ourselves first. Where is that data, so that we can reduce the scope of both things that we have to to stay within compliance, but more importantly, reduce the scope that that an attacker has to work with. And that's that's one of that's that's a challenge that I think is very addressable today that I would be thinking about. So that's sort of the proactive defense is to really understand your systems and minimize their their vulnerabilities. That is the proactive, and the and the the rapid reactive portion of that is now that I know where everything is, as soon as I experience an incident, I can react and respond appropriately, knowing either a there was not the level of sensitive information in these locations that experienced an incident. And so it doesn't rise, rise beyond that or be there was, and now I can rapidly uh, contain that environment, remove the attacker and restore integrity to the networks and systems. But all of those things happen in, in uh, they happen in concert with knowing what data is at risk and not simply that a system was compromised. What about kind of the more traditional, we more traditionally think about when we think about cybersecurity defense of actually, you know, sort of like putting up walls and keeping people out or, or staying one step ahead of how hackers get in. I mean, is that still a, a viable battle or is that just always going to, you're always going to at some point miss a step and then they'll get in? Yeah, I, I, I gave a talk earlier this year at uh, one of the IC conferences. Um, I think I titled the, <clears throat> the Paradox of Compromise, right? I think that was the title of it. And I talk about this very scenario where we live in a world where we have to assume compromise. 
namely that any one of our systems may have already been compromised by something as basic as you know maybe a phishing attack or or a drive-by web, web browser attack and yet we equally have to maintain all of our controls in the face of pre-existing compromise and so how do we do that a lot of emerging technologies more focused on on what is largely known as just kind of zero trust as as a methodology for that where all systems are untrusted until otherwise explicitly so um, nist has published a framework around zero trust uh, that that is a that's a good mechanism for for approaching that problem to answer your question directly that problem is never going to go away you cannot secure all the things all the time um, that is simply not how risk works you you have to reduce it mitigate it transfer it um, as appropriate based on the nature of the risk. So it will, it will never go away. You cannot close all the doors, lock all the windows, um, especially not again when you consider that you may already have the threat internally, whether, whether it's a malicious in insider or a compromised insider, there is an insider. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they do say that things like, uh, you know, unsecured laptops that get left at I guess these days, not so much at coffee shops, whatever. That that sort of thing is is disproportionately responsible for for attacks a lot of times. It certainly does lead to a lot of otherwise just lost data. It's a very basic response to that. Of you know, you can you know encrypt the hard drives, which I feel like a lot of a lot of organizations have already done. The challenge there is that that's only. That's only effective if the machine is powered off and the laptop's closed, right? Like it, 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 it is a necessary control, but understanding the scope of that control is equally important. Well, is there anything else we haven't talked about that you think is, is really um, interesting or germane to this conversation, especially for, you know, thinking about that CIO or CISO, or the hospital um, person in charge of securing information? Any other topics you want to delve into? I think the larger privacy management conversation, it's probably worth another 30 minutes uh, some other time, is is a, is an area where I think uh, the healthcare field in particular, having already been exposed to that intersection of data security and data privacy, could equally lead the the way for for the rest of the world, is in sharing that knowledge that, that they have gained over over the last several decades um, of securing personal personal data, sensitive data, private health information. There's, there's a lot for everyone else to be learned from that. That's a nice thing to hear because healthcare technology is always being told that we're lagging behind everyone else and it would be more like banks or airports. So I like the notion that health, health tech has something to offer other industries based on their, their, their particular experience. Absolutely. Well, great. Well, thanks so much for joining me, Gabe. This has been a fun conversation. I appreciate you having me on. Uh, folks want to know more about you and about Spirion, we can include some links there. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll make sure I, I include some links for you to, to attach to the show notes. You can find us online, um, Spirion.com. You can find me uh, at on Twitter, at Gabriel Gums. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, we also host a, a podcast as well called Privacy Please Podcasts uh, with myself and, and Cameron Ivy too, where we, we talk about that intersection of security and privacy. Um, not healthcare specific, but it's uh, it's a pretty fun laid back conversation also with industry professionals. I'll make sure to check that out. All right. Thank you. And of course, thank you all for listening. Uh, we really do appreciate our listeners at Hemscast. Please do leave a rating, tell a friend, help us to grow our audience. Uh, and until next time, stay safe.